Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-hosts and stars of this show, Mark Wiley and Will George. This is a day at the yard, common sense pitching with Wiley and Will. And as we half joked about on the last show, and you'll find more of this insight today, common sense just isn't very common anymore, and these two gentlemen have it. So tune in, get your notepads out, and start writing. Before I bring bring them on to their show, just want to thank our Really supportive audience now. Because of your push, we're closing in on that 50,000 subscriber mark, 74 countries still, grassroots to MLB front offices. You are now listening to the newest addition to iHeart uh, on their podcast network. So uh, thanks to our audience. Keep supporting us. We'll keep growing. We'll keep the uh, the honest voice uh, out there for you guys and keep pushing the envelope. And we'll keep bringing you great content like Mark and Will do every week. So with that, Mark, Will, welcome back to your show. Great to be back, guys. Thanks, Dave. I'm I'm looking forward to today's podcast. Yeah, we've got a little second rendition of last week. We've we've traditionally had guests on, but um, you know, we, we wanted to try it out last week to see uh, how our audience enjoyed it, and they loved it. Uh, they loved hearing the two of you uh, go back and forth, not just with your wisdom, but with your knowledge, with your passion, with your conviction, and with the relationship that you two guys have had over decades. Um, I think all that came out in the last podcast, so uh, we're going to continue part two of what I kind of dubbed, uh, it's almost like a State of the Union dress, address with baseball. And um, Will, you had an interesting point before the show that you, you wanted to kind of expound upon and get us started, you know, where it's that, you know, that great divide, as Jim Cott says on his show, that's happened. And you have a great perspective on it. Share that. Yeah, with you. you know, I, I I think that all of us veteran baseball people, we've had I've had so many of these conversations, and we've spent the the life in our game as players and coaches doing everything we can, looking for every uh, angle or thing that makes us better at what we do. And um, uh, there's a misconception that we have. Uh, snubbed our nose at analytics. I mean, I, I, I sit in meetings with veteran guys who've spent their whole lives like me, 40 plus years, 30 years or whatever in the game, trying to learn what we can about analytic, how it applies to players. Um, but the biggest gripe when I talk to major league coaches, scouts, player development people is on the other side, a lack of respect and of our knowledge and they never ask us any questions about, Hey, you know, when you see a guy do this, or when you see a hitter that does this and, 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 and I can count the number of conversations since we've really delved into analytics that I've had where people have actually asked me for my knowledge on one hand. And I have asked them on numerous occasions and I delve into all the things that they've made me available, hopefully making me a better scout. So uh, there seems to be a little bit of, of a misconception that we're all Grandpa Simpson yelling at the clouds, you know, don't change, don't change the world. We want to live in our past. No, we're not living in the past. We know what has worked for years, and we're always trying to get better and make others around us better. Yeah. Mark, well, Mark, do you uh, find that yeah. ironic that, uh, you know, as, as Will's describing, I've heard it from hundreds of baseball guys as well, where 
there's an effort on the baseball guy's part to learn everything they can about how to make this game better, but we don't see it on the other end. I mean, do you find it ironic that they, they accuse others of doing the same thing that they're actually doing? Yeah. You know, they think, you know, good coaches, regardless of how old they are or experienced they are, like Will said, they're always looking for the edge. They're always looking for things, but they question things. You know, when analytics started out uh, to where they were doing some dramatic stuff, um, especially for positioning, um, uh, that kind of thing, you know, I had I had real pointed questions to ask them. And I asked them the questions trying to understand that they were things that I didn't believe that were true. And, and I wanted to say, okay, now you're telling me this is going to happen, but I don't believe that because I played. And when I threw a change up uh, to the right hitter, he pulled the ball. Uh, he didn't hit the ball in the same place on a change up as he did a fastball. You're telling me he hits the ball in the same place regardless or the situation of the game. Um, you know, so uh, I asked the questions and sometimes I think I helped educate them on the situations where that might not occur to where there's a little bit more uh, leniency in, in allowing a player to position himself a little bit more. Um, but, you know, like Will said, it's really hard for them to ask questions when they haven't really played the game or been involved in a, in a competitive type situation at that level. And, and that's why, I've always felt, and, and we tried to do it when I was there at the Rockies, we, we had a liaison, a baseball guy that was familiar with analytics, that he could pass on the questions that the baseball people had. He could explain maybe some of the things the analytics guys had that were valuable to the baseball people. Um, but there has, to be, there has to be communication, and the only way it can be communication is you have somebody that knows both ends. And uh, I think that's important. It is, it is a disappointment, uh, like Will said, that you don't get a lot of analytics people asking the baseball people their opinion on certain things uh, when they're constructing their, their analytics. I mean, I remember at one point in my career when analytics was a, a part of it, and I, I asked, I said, hey, can you run how many extra base hits were were given up on O2 counts in the seventies all the way up to today. And, uh, they said they couldn't do it. They said the information wasn't there that I don't know. You know, I, I didn't have time to go research it myself, but you know, I, I, I would think it would be there because we're such a, st a statistical game that I would think you could go back and find out those people have charted games for a hundred years. So there should be some information somewhere to where, uh, somebody could give me that information. But that was something I wanted to know to sell my players on commanding the ball. You know, you've got to command the ball. Uh, if you don't, you're giving up bombs on 0-2 counts, which should never happen. And and I wanted to emphasize that. So yeah. I came up with some stuff myself over the years that uh, uh, I felt were valuable as a pitching coach to keep before analytics was even popular. Um but it was meaningful stuff that I could pass on to a player to make him better. You know, I, uh, I wanted to share uh, uh, an anecdotal story to this. Uh, Pete Vukovic, Mark, or you and I know really well, who was a Cy Young award-winning pitcher, 
uh, major league pitching coach, special assistant, longtime major league scout. Uh, and now he's retired. Good guy, very funny, very open and candid. Had a discussion with a young analytics guy who said, you know, well, you know, where they dig in the numbers to evaluate a pitcher. And they looked at his numbers and they said, wow, you were really wild. Um, you walked way too many people. And Pete said, really? He goes, do you know how many of those I walked on purpose? And the guy had no idea of what that concept was. <laughs> you know, that with a base open and a left-handed hitter up, he was pitching around the guy because he knew the next guy was going to roll over one of his splitters or change-ups and hit into a double play. And, like, like they can't grasp that because they can't grasp the moment of being a major league or a minor league pitcher who has any pitcher who has a feel for pitching, that I'm not going to let this guy beat me. I'm going to try to get him to chase in his weakest area of the zone. If he doesn't chase, that's fine. I'm going to get a double play. Yeah. And well, you both in on a oh, go ahead, Mark. Well, enough. I'll, I'll. No, no, that no, that was it. And then you know the other thing, Mark Joel Sherman just wrote a really good article uh, about the Braves, how the analytics uh, um, advance reports go through Walt Weiss and Ron Washington and their major league staff every day, and then then it's delivered by them. And those guys have gained a grasp of the analytics side and what's going to help their players. And when we look at the team that they have assembled and won a World Series a couple of years back and are in a good place again this year and were last year as well, you know, that's where we have to get to as an industry where everybody's pulling the rope the same way and respectful of, of one another. You yeah. guys both hit on a great point, um, and I, I want you to expound upon it because it'll help our audience understand where the divide is and where it can be closed in. You brought up the, the story about uh, Vukovic and the walks, and uh, Mark, you brought up about the the, uh, the O2 count stuff. They, they could find it. They just didn't want to probably, but because when they found it, what was going to have to happen and what was missing from the Vukovic situation is analytics is a story. It's supposed to be a word. It's not supposed to be a math problem. Math problems are abs- absolute. And they're like puzzles and baseball is not a puzzle. It's a mystery. There's so many different ways you can twist and turn. And I like what the Braves are doing with, with uh, Weiss and Washington, because those are the guys with the experience like you guys that can take the numbers and they can tell the story to their players in the language that they understand and make it practical um, for game usage. And not just, you know, uh, as you, as, as Vukovic was told, you walk too many guys. There's a story behind that. And he, he was right on. He was right on. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I think that's a great point that you guys yeah. both made. I want our audience to understand. Well, I think that, you know, I think there are teams that have a real handle on that. And they're the better teams. Let's face it. Yeah. Um, uh, if they don't have uh, an unbelievable amount of talent on the team, they play up to their level, um, uh, their capacity to 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 compete. Um better than some of the other teams. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I know we, we kind of hammer analytics a little bit on this show, um, and those and other things. Um, but I, I still want to point out there are organizations that do a great job. Oh um, yeah. No who I'd be, I'd be proud, uh, uh, to bring on to explain what they do, but a lot of times they don't want to do that because they don't want to give anybody else, uh, what they do. 
You know, right. um, you know, Tampa Bay's uh, pretty closed mouth about some of the things they do. I don't agree with some of the stuff they do, but as far as the development process, they've done a pretty good job. If you look at some organizations, they have more value to starting pitchers than other people do. Um, I'm a starting, I was a pitching coach, so I have more value to starting pitching. I think that the game runs better. Um, you have a better chance to win. It's a better time to be, be, uh, more competitive at your bullpen, uh, when you've got pitchers going deeper into the game and there's more value to those starting pitchers. So, you know, I, I don't want to come across heavy that, you know, everybody is a disaster in this game. No, uh, not there are not organizations either. that do a really good job. Um, there's organizations that throw a lot of money at star players. Um, again, you know, what's in your heart? Um, you know, what, what motivates you? Um, uh, determines sometimes how good a team is and how what kind of chemistry you have. And and some of the clubs that we've always known this, you know, we've talked about it, Will, people in baseball have talked about it for years. Sometimes teams with too many superstars right. have an issue because those guys perform at an unbelievable level under themselves and you don't know how either the competition with their teammates or whether they – they uh, were really not a leader, but they're a performer. Um, you get a bunch of performers that aren't leaders. That's a problem. Yep. Um, we've been with teams and seen teams that the best player uh, was not the leader. A guy that played every day that held everybody accountable was the leader on that team, but they weren't necessarily the best player. Right. And there's other teams that have great players, but hey, their nature is to be quiet. Right. They just perform uh, by and they they try to show by example how to play the game, but they're not really leaders. So you have to have some of those guys. And if a team's missing that guy that pushes the other guys, um, you know, I, I I just remember that we always had a couple guys on the Indians teams during those, those good years that were extra players, guys that came in for defense, yeah. uh, fill in once in a while that were really very important to our star players, and we had a lot of them. Because they'd hold them accountable. They'd yell at them and stuff. And those guys took it because they knew these guys were grinders and they were getting everything out of their, their ability. And it was it was time for them to do the same thing with better ability. No, that's there, there's no doubt. You know, I think uh, um, I cover the Phillies, but that is a really good clubhouse. And there was a reason they went to a World Series last year and they're peaking again this year. To, to go make a nice run again in uh, September and October. And I think that, uh, you know, I posted a little video I saw of them as a team doing a closest to the pin event to see who gets the first picks for their fantasy football uh, as a team. This is something they do as a team. And how important, but it's the unmeasurable met metric that nobody understands that chemistry really does matter. You have a bunch of guys who like each other and care about each other and they go to war every day and they have each other's backs. That's, you know, and then you add the talent in and you add the leadership that they have and guys like Schwarber and Harper and Rayo Muto that come and show up every day. That's, that, that that's what makes teams special. It really, well, you know, you know, the, the thing is, is that 
you know, sometimes, you know, I think we look at first, look at the Hall of Fame guys that were really leaders. So they had the talent and they had the leadership. Right. You know, um, I can tell you this. I saw firsthand uh, uh, Jim Cott, who has a show on our network. Yeah. Uh, he always played games with everything. Yeah. You know, it was always a game. You know, it didn't matter if he was trying to uh, use a bat and 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 have a putting contest uh, into a glove in the bullpen. You know, like he was doing that stuff. Jim Palmer was always the guy that led the running. He was always the fastest guy. You know, we'd go they foul pole to foul pole was always leading the way, and all the young guys yeah. wanted to be like him. So, yeah. so he did physical stuff. I mean, there's a lot of guys that led uh, not only on the field. But just by the way they did things off the field. Yeah, no, it, it, they had fun at the ballpark. They they built that camaraderie um, that a lot of times is missing now. You talk to people, the players come in at the end of the day on some teams. They don't talk to each other. They don't talk about the game. They shower up. They're they're on their cell phone and they're they're out. They're out of the they're out of the clubhouse. There's no no. There's no uh, things that we got to share and do that I wouldn't trade for anything. You know, you know I'm in a clubhouse I, for hours talking baseball. Well, that's what people, you know, that's what people did because that was their job. Yeah. And they wanted to be better at it and they wanted to talk the game. And they knew if they talked the game, they'd be better at it or get something off their chest that they were mad about. You know, yeah. like all those kind of things. You know, I played with Gaylord Perry. Gaylord Perry was kind of a Gaylord Perry was a gruff guy, you know. Yeah. Uh, he would get, you know, he he didn't he did something I would never teach anybody, but he used to get mad at infielders if he felt like they should have been in a different place catching ground balls or something. Um, but I will tell you this: he used to play that game at forty years old. He won a Cy Young with San Diego when I was with him. He he used to play that game during batting practice that if you catch the ball in the air. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's, it's we, we, two uh, points, and if you catch on the ground, it's one point. Yeah, um, Palmer Palmer did that with the Orioles and everybody in our system. We used to do it almost every day, except if we had guys like John Shelby who said, "Get the hell out of the outfield." I'm working. Well, yeah, you were through. always taught that if the outfielder yeah. had preference if he wanted right. to work on something, but otherwise, it gave us good oh. run. It gave it gave you time to get on guys, and there was prizes right. either money. Or yeah. you had to, or you had to get a guy a drink uh, when you got in the clubhouse, or get him a towel, or do something. That was the the cost of losing, and yeah. uh, that's that. It's it, it sounds silly, but it, it added to the chemistry. And these were star players, which makes it even more important. We used to play pepper games where all the pitchers, you know, we were an American League team. We'd be diving for balls and. You know, if you if you hit a line drive and somebody caught it, you were out. Um, you had to hit the ball on the ground. You had to hit it between two signs in the outfield. We would come in filthy and dirty <laughs> from diving for balls. Four or five of us pitchers that were starters, we would do that every day. Well, um, I remember organization did that hacky sack thing. Yeah, where they yeah. you know they they're flipping it, but you had to. You had to put rules on it because you didn't want guys diving and hurting themselves or something. So right. you had to like limit certain things. But you know, they, it all did add to the chemistry of the stuff, and it gave you something you could kid the guy about. Right. And uh, 
you know, it was just, uh, there's all these games within the game that, that help you with chemistry. Mark, uh, let me share a funny story. My first year in instructional league, we were sharing the complex at Payson Field with the Mets, and it was before the game, and a, a bunch of us pitchers were playing a real aggressive pepper game. And uh, on we were playing between two of the fields. Um, there was infield going on on one of the fields, and I hit a line drive um, over – by fielder's head and I hit branch Ricky jr. In the back of the head and knocked him out cold. Uh, <laughs> and all the guys I was playing with took off. And there was me, an 18 year old high school kid standing there with a bat and everybody turns around like he was scouting the other field, whether I would take it infield. And later on in life, I, I actually interviewed with him and he goes, weren't you the guy that hit me in the head with <laughs> <laughs> you know, when he, when he was the farm director for the Reds uh, after I got done playing. But it was like everybody took off and like an idiot, I was standing there with the bat and they go, did you just hit that ball? And I go, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it's like, funny like, because, I, you know, I had times when I was when I was scouting where uh, I'd sit up in the stands with him and, you know, he'd talk about his, his family's history oh, yeah. and all the stuff they did, you know, like, and I was telling him some of the things they still do, uh, that, 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 uh, you know, his what grandfather started yeah. or whatever, you know, yeah. well, I, I was, I think it was his dad. I, you know, uh, because of my relationship with Murray cook, I ended up becoming close with him. Murray had hired him as a farm director when he was a GM in Cincinnati and, uh, was very, very close to branch. And, you know, we laughed, you know, when I would run into him and the, he goes, yeah, there's a guy that knocked me out cold. <laughs> That's funny. So. Hey, if, if you guys had, uh, and this may help out because we do have a, a few brave analytic souls that listen to the podcast. And I always encourage it because they're going to get insight into how to make this work long term. If you were to advise them on a couple of questions to ask you guys, because of course they don't have the experience, they don't have the background and probably a little bit of ego coming into play. But if they were to, if you were to advise some of those listening in the audience, these analytics guys on what questions they should be asking you, what, what, what would you say? Um, I, yeah, I, I would, I would say that um, it's not a perfect game. Um, you said it as good as anybody earlier in the podcast, uh, Dave, um, you know, it's, you know, it's not a puzzle, you, right? It's, it's not, not a puzzle. It's not a puzzle. It's not, it has a finite solution, you know? Um, and like anything else, it doesn't matter if you're selling cars or whatever you're doing. Um, you point out all the best features, you know, you, you don't, you don't say, well, we are 10th in safety, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or the, they're going to, point out the things that make sense to them, but sometimes the peripheral stuff's more important than what they're talking about. You know, perfect example, I, I don't know if I mentioned it on a previous podcast, was was uh, the Oakland A's when they you know had Moneyball uh, in 2002, and they constructed it through analytics, uh, choosing players that had better base on, uh, base on base percentage and some other things. But 
they made a movie out of it. So that even sold it even more for people that are watching movie. They're not looking at some of the other things that took place with that club. They're only looking like, oh, the success had to be because of analytics. Nobody had ever done that before. Well, that had some impact. Uh, they did some stuff that based on their ballpark, but nobody mentioned that they had three of the best pitchers in baseball at the time, uh, Hudson, Mulder, and Zito, who won 57 games. And then they had Billy Koch, who was a reliever closer, that won 11 more and saved 44 games. In the movie, they were barely mentioned, if at all, um, because it wasn't selling. That didn't sell the on-base percentage analytics. You know, they weren't trying to sell good starting pitching makes a good team. Um, and that led to a new way to run baseball. And so uh, my advice to anybody with analytics is uh, check the ramifications. Don't just get stuck with your hypothesis and say, okay, I, I, I prove that. That's good. Look at the whole picture. And, and I think that's what happens. You know, I had a, an old veteran scout told me one time, he goes, he says, you know who the analytics guys are? And I go, who's that? The guys that played video games all the time in college and were in the lobby of the deal working on their computers and stuff. They, they never even played sports or never did anything. And, and the game um, to them, the fastest part of the game was the fact that, that the video game was fast and they learned how to play that. And, and when they look at a screen and they watch a baseball game, they're looking at it in terms of a video game as opposed to what is really happening with the heart and soul and, and all the other things that make up a, a good baseball player. I like that. Will, do you have anything you want to, uh, you know, I, you know, just to add on to that, you know, the, um, you know, I, I think in preparing uh, players for games, you know, you know, you you see this uh, unbelievable, heavy, heavy usage of breaking balls because hitters hit a certain thing against a breaking ball. Well, it's not just the breaking ball; it was the journey to the breaking ball that made them swing and miss or miss hit and not get a hit. Like there are other pitches, and you can sequence it. Like you know, you you now come and watch games where guys throw one high four seam fastball and then seven or eight sliders, and 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 or or, or I, I go see an A ball pitcher that throws twelve fastballs out of ninety two pitches during a a, a, f a five inning start in A ball, and and like. You, you utilize all of your tools, you know, um, it's the same thing, you know, where, where, where hitters have certain counts where they're sitting on a certain pitch in a certain location, you know, first of all, they're not always going to throw that pitch. So you can't take away from see the ball, hit the ball approach and, and actually having instincts for the game. Don't let don't let all the numbers take away all of your learned instincts for what actually makes sense and what your gut's telling you should, you should throw or you should look for in a certain account. Uh, I, 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 I just think we, we let that control us too much sometimes. Uh, here, here's a good, that, that's absolutely true. And uh, here's an example. And this, this, I've mentioned similar things about this on other podcasts. 
you know, when I watch major league games and I see how many hard hit balls there are and how many balls are hit out of the ballpark, they're, they're almost all elevated. They're almost all belt high or thigh high. And I think the definitions of low within the analytics world or in, in graphs is higher. They're taking the thigh high pitch and saying that's low. Anything from below the thigh down is low. You know what low is? Low is at the top of the knee, top of the knee to the cup of the knee. Right. And below that. Right. That, that's low. You know, so when you throw down there and you see pitchers in today's game that keep the ball there, they have good games. They have good games because guys still can't hit that pitch. It's the farthest away from your eyes for one thing. Okay. That's common sense. So it's hard to track your bat to a ball that's farther away from you. So, you know, it just doesn't make sense to me when they're saying that, that, that there's not as much value to a low pitch as there used to be. I, I, I find that hard to believe. I dis- Yeah, I agree with what you're saying 100%. You know, uh, Rick Peterson, who you and I know, Mark, you know, when, when he was with the Orioles, he had a thing called it was the 185 line. And that was the, the, the line right below the bottom of the strike zone of your kneecap. That if you can leverage balls down there, which is what we grew up trying to throw the ball downhill, uh, what Ted Williams told us in his books about balls that went high to low, what we've watched in games our whole lives as guys hit the top part of the ball into the ground when you leverage the ball, um, how important that is. And, you know, it's it's not emphasized anymore because everybody is, is doing the copycat. And then I wanted to bring up a point uh, about a Billy Bean con- comment that he made to a very close friend of mine on MLB Network. And Billy has kind of stepped back as the team president with Oakland. And he said, uh, analytics is good, but we're such a copycat industry that has gone way too far on analytics right now and the game is suffering from it and that was the gist of what he told this person well and that goes right into what we've talked about development wise right is it that uh, this analytics is not only running a big league game and choosing big league players or a big league lineup or a rotation it's also how you're developing players yeah and that's what players are seeing they're seeing all this stuff, and they really believe it makes them a better player. Right. And then you got some snake oil salesmen we've talked about before that perpetuate that uh, to make money off the players. So, you know, you got to be smarter than that. And there's a lot of smart people, and we have a pretty good network of people uh, in our podcast network that would be very valuable not only to listen to Will and myself and our guests – but some of the other guys oh. that are on here for hitting and for we got Fry for hitting we got and I mentioned before Chase, the Jim Cott Bob Schaefer we've got um, all these guys Jim that have background um, that can give you insights on what's important and what's not you know you got to be careful when 
You know, I went to a home show the other day, and it's so funny to hear these guys try to sell their products. And when you ask them a question nobody's asked them before, you see them scuffling because all they're doing is trying to sell you the product. You know, uh, you know, how do you clean it? Oh, well, um, you know, you got to take this part. Oh, you got to take it all apart. Mm, that's not too good. You know, it's 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 really funny that that people people put their own their own beliefs uh, of what's important and forget about all the other stuff because they don't want to think any further than that. Well, well it's 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 funny because you know societally we we've erased history, the good things, the bad things, whatever, but. Baseball has a history, and when you hear some modern people who believe that this is the greatest game ever right now because the athletes are bigger, stronger, faster, I'll agree they're all definitely bigger, stronger, faster, whatever, but there were plenty of fast guys when we played, plenty of strong guys, plenty of big guys, but the game was played better, and there is a history that they're erasing of developmental success that worked forever that is now not being implemented. And I don't know why, why not implement all that has been successful and add in what is successful on the analytics side or the, or the modern technology side to make that player the best possible player ever, you know? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and it all goes into, um, you give the responsibility uh, and the judgment to coaches. And if you don't have qualified coaches, you got a problem. Right. Because they're going to err on the caution side because they don't understand that a guy can throw that many pitches in a game or they, their standards are so limited that they don't allow a guy development uh, to develop at, at the pace they should develop at. You know, it's funny in, in in the world now, um, uh, they're so afraid of hurting guys, and they they they're tired, and they're they they limit the, uh, they live with the experiences they need to be special, or or even major league average. You know, when when they don't learn those things in the minor leagues because they're afraid of hurting them. Um, if that's the way they did it in amateur baseball, that just perpetuates it even more. Um, that's why you need to to turn the decision making over to some people that know what a what a good one looks like, knows when a guy's getting tired, even though he has limited pitches, or when he's not getting tired. These are stuff that that have changed now, and we're we're hurting players when they get to the big leagues because they haven't really performed enough to really know what they're doing. You know, we're uh, Kevin, Kevin Kiernan, our partner wrote that article exploding elbows and cited that website that I've shared with both of you guys as well. Uh, Put this into perspective of where we are from an injury standpoint right now. Out of the 1,200 players on 40-man rosters, which is probably not quite 1,200 because not everybody has 40, they have missed over 118,000 games at $350 million this year. 
that's just off of the 1,200 that are in the big leagues. Think about the other uh, 3,600 that are in the minor leagues and tell me what we're doing right now is the right thing to develop baseball healthy, durable baseball pitchers and players. Can you tell it's me not that? working. It's not I working. Mean, you know, that's just uh, – I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but that's just common sense. I, You know, you know we're talking about 4,800 players, and I don't even know what the minor league numbers are. But if at the major league level they've missed 118,000 games collectively at $350 million, that's staggering. You know, it's, it's, and it's, and this is all done under, under, under work. Yeah. Under work, under repetition, under, uh, under the amount of com- competition you're playing. Right. Um, you know, we used to have a saying that in development, uh, a player, uh, it, we're not, it's not on our schedule. It's on his when he gets elevated to another level or gets to the big leagues. They have to earn it, and so much of it now is not earned. It's either justified because of rankings or, like you just mentioned, there's so many injuries. We're perpetuating the problem by promoting guys that aren't ready to be there, that haven't performed well enough or enough or 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 enough uh, in enough games. They're getting promoted to the big leagues because of injuries. So it hurts those guys. Well, so I, it, it's a combination of guys being hurt and guys coming up too too soon, and they're not mentally and physically ready. I, you know, I had a, a pitcher I was been trying to cross check for uh, about three or four weeks now. Um, he got promoted from low A ball to high A ball. Uh, when he got promoted, they put him on the developmental list, which I guess is some sort of a new vacation list where, where he have, uh, uh, where he didn't pitch for two weeks. So I finally got to see him. He's a 22 year old left-handed prospect pitcher. That was a second round pick or third round pick out of college. He's never been hurt, but he's on this strict innings and pitch thing. He doesn't have a hundred innings. He had, you know, two weeks off where he didn't pitch at all. And then the other night he got, they took him out when he hit his pitch count in the third inning and he was winning two to one at the time. And I'm going, what are they doing? How is this guy going to figure anything out? He had gotten a couple guys on base and his, his pitch count went up because the guy fouled off a bunch of pitches and they, he ended up walking the guy and they took him out. And I'm going, what, what, what are we doing here? He's probably going to end up getting hurt anyway. <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, we can't play God. We can't prevent injuries by not letting guys play or not letting guys pitch. We got to go prepare them and not prepare them in a weight room, but prepare them on a baseball field to go out and play. Yeah, absolutely. You know. what, do you, what do you guys think about the you know the, the trade deadline happens so late? I got think it's a two part. How long does it take? Do you think a manager or staff to 
figure out what they have, how many weeks into the season. And then do you think if they move the trade deadline earlier that there would be more emphasis placed on development? Because once the trade deadline's over, you, what you have in your system is what you have. And you have to prepare those guys to play. You have to spend time on the base running, the health, the the moving guys over, the catching of fly balls, all the, the silly stuff we see out there. Do you think that would affect anything at all? Or what kind of effect do you think that has on lack of development? Well, I think it has an effect. And it also perspective of the people running it, the general managers and the ownership. Um, there's always been a problem and a disconnect with certain clubs where the the ownership or the general manager thinks there's a they're they're a better team than they are. Right. And they end up holding on to guys that from a scouting viewpoint, you'll have 10 scouts up there and all the t- uh, 10 scouts are, you know, we all talk and guys go, yeah, I wonder why they haven't dealt that guy. Right. You know, it's because they think they can still win. Right. And the scouts that are watching the game every day no, he's not going to help you win because you don't have enough pieces with that team, but you could bring up some more pieces to go after it the next year. But everybody wants to feel like they're going to compete this year. I heard a podcast, or not a podcast, it was MLB yesterday. I think Lynch was on there and he was talking about the Padres and, you know, what they should do. You know, like, They've got all these star players, you know, should they start dealing some of these guys? Because they, you know, and one of the, you know, one of the other guys goes, uh, well, you know, they might put a run on. Well, you know, like you're dreaming. There's too many teams they got to climb over. Right. You know, like, but that's exactly what happens when a team is put together and somebody thinks they're really good for whatever reason. And they don't want to, they want to hold on to that. They want to hold on to it. They hold on to it too long. You know, and then the other case is, is that you deal, you know, you deal players and you call people up for the minor leagues who aren't ready to be called up yet because you open up a place for them prematurely. You know, you open up, you open a spot because you need a shortstop and he's not ready to play. You're in trouble because you're trying to break a kid in at shortstop when you don't have the pieces around or his experience in the minor leagues to make him be able to handle it. So, I mean, it's quite a balance, but a lot of times in our game, and I understand marketing to where teams have to market, you know, that we're going to be in there. We got a chance to win this year and everything, but you can't fool yourself if you're upper management. You have to know what you have. And uh, I applaud guys that make those decisions when they need to be made. Well, I always, you know, the best thing I ever learned was from, when I got into scouting from Gary Hughes was uh, the most important players to always get right are your own. And that's why, you know, so many of our scouts would see our whole system with the Marlins because David Dombrowski at, and at the end of the season always wanted to have as many opinions to make the right decision. Um, because your player development people, they live with the guys every day. Um, there is some sort of a uh, bond that comes with, I think, you know, because doing both, I was always more generous to guys that I coached, how I evaluated what I thought they might be able to do than when you're sitting up in the stands. I think you don't have that connection and you evaluate better 
And the more opinions you get, the better decisions you make. Um, uh, you know, and, you know, I always go back and Gary told the story of John Smoltz and I was able to confirm it from people in Atlanta that when they made the Doyle Alexander deal, you know, you know, Mark, you know this, that you always exchange a grouping of names. And there were like eight or 10 guys and Detroit came back and said, no, these guys are off limits. And they were shocked that Smoltz's name didn't come off. So they got him wrong. And he was actually at the top of Atlanta's list. And when they were able to make the deal, they got Smoltz, Doyle Alexander. Naturally, he helped Atlanta, or Detroit uh, some. But Atlanta got a Hall of Famer for Doyle Alexander. Uh, the Astros got Jeff Bagwell for Larry Anderson. Those, you know, those are the kind of deals – where your scouting comes into play. And, uh, uh, and you know, at that point, the Ast- or the Red Sox never should have given up Jeff Bagwell. You know, I was coaching in the Eastern League that year. He was the best hitter in the league and one of the best players, hands down. And I was like, they got him for Larry Anderson? Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Larry Anderson was always a nice – September piece, but not a Jeff Bagwell for Larry. Anderson. Not an MVP. You yeah. traded. You yeah. traded an MVP oh. or a Cy Young award winner. Now today it happens all the time because they don't want to pay the guy. But back yeah. then they didn't have to. No, uh, they know, could Bag- afford him. You know, you know, Bagwell was just a kid. You got a Hall of Famer for a journeyman reliever for the stretch. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've got a couple stories that, uh, and I'm big on player comparisons because when yeah. you're really close when you're really close to players <clears throat> and you're a staff member or even the front office and you're watching guys play day in and day out and you get a burr under your saddle and you don't like a guy maybe he didn't get a big hit with a guy on base or he didn't score a guy from third uh in a big game and it gets blown out i mean you know you know how many times i had to talk managers off the off the ledge when they didn't want to put a guy in. And I said, he said, he's been terrible lately. I said, he gave up C9 ground balls the last three right. games that cost runs. If they were at somebody, you wouldn't be saying anything. Right. You know, um, I, I had a, I had a discussion one time we were with one organization when I was a special assistant and we were going over players near the end of the year on our club and, and the major league staff uh, they were down on the right fielder for whatever reason. I mean, they, they're with him every day. So maybe right. that, they were down on him. So I listened to all the discuss, discussions, all the stuff he couldn't do. Um, and, uh, and it, he wasn't a, you know, he wasn't a cancer or anything. So it wasn't one of those kind of things. Right. It was just on field performance that they were down on. Yeah. And so I waited till everybody got all their comments out and I asked, can I make a statement? And they said, sure. And I said, I've scouted, the entire baseball, American and National League. I said, I've looked at every right fielder in baseball. He's the third best right fielder in all of baseball today. Right. right. I said, I don't know why you're down on him. Maybe he disappointed you. I get that. But I said, I want you to know I've seen all the right fielders. You haven't. And I can tell you with confidence that he's one of the top three guys. Yeah. 
And hey, maybe right fielders weren't a big deal that, you know, they didn't have Aaron Judge out there hitting 60 home runs that year. So, you know, so maybe the right fielders weren't as good as they've been sometimes in the right. past, but there's still 30 of them. Yeah. And he's one of the top guys. So maybe he wouldn't not spend so much time on him. I'll tell you another story. Back in 1994, um, I was a special assistant and John Hart and Dan O'Dowd sent me in to see Baltimore to see Jose Mesa. Right. Jose Mesa was their fifth starter. He was their fifth starter on Orioles club. They had a pretty good rotation. And uh, I followed him. I followed him for three starts. I made sure I was in the city where he was at for three starts in a row. Every start, he went like seven innings. He competed his ass off. He lost like every, he had like one bad inning, gave up three runs or something. Other than that, he threw a lot of shutout innings, but he got deep into the game every time, but he'd lose the game. Now, you know, it may have been just a bet, the matchup who, who he was pay, facing. That happens. Sometimes fifth starters face number ones and they have a hard time winning. But in his case, I came back to John and Dan. I said, they said, what do you think? I said, they don't know what they have. Right. This guy's probably the best fifth starter in all of baseball. Right. He's throwing 95 miles an hour. He throws strikes. He's getting deep into the game. What do you want from a fifth starter? You know, you want a number one out of your fifth. So anyway, we eventually made the trade. The next year, I'm the big league pitching coach. We transitioned him into relief, and he ended up being fireman of the year and a closer. But my point was that I felt like Baltimore didn't know what they had. No, no. They didn't compare him to all the fifth starters in baseball. That's what you need to do. You got to compare them. What you so then you may feel like you got way more value than you really thought you initially thought. You know, and it makes you feel better about the guy. And maybe. That alone will make you t- treat him better, and he feels like he's more that you have more confidence in him. So sometimes that leads to the guy even being better. So, you know, these things happen, but I think I like the fact that you compare players, and I'm not talking about analytically comparing them. I'm talking about how they compete in a game. Yeah, yeah. I remember we got Jose our uh, year last year, for Mike Flanagan, we got him and Ozzy Peralta, yeah. the other right-handed pitcher. Two good arms. That was a good trade for us. Trading and and I always liked Jose's makeup. And I think I remember calling you in '94, and you had just been hired. I was covering in the Dominican, and he was closing for Escojito. And I said, Mark, I think you're, I think you might have your closer for next year down here in Mesa. That was a really good deal. Because going to the bullpen bumped him up to 97, 98, and he had that power curveball and slide, and he threw strikes. He had a good delivery. And he, he had was, unbelievable durability. Oh, and I we, mean, I, you know, they talk about now they won't let anybody throw four games in a row. No. And, okay, here's, here's the eye test. I used to look, and, and Mike Hargrove used to ask me, What do you think? You think Jose could pitch? And I said, Yeah. He went nine pitches, 12 pitches, 12 pitches. Right. This is the third day. I said he had no stress on him for three start, three reliefs in a, in a row. 
And I said, of course he could pitch. Now, if it gets extended, we should have somebody up behind him because we don't want him to go any more than that, you know, over over 15 pitches or whatever. And he was and, a horse workaholic. And he would save four games in a row. Yeah, you know, today, yeah. they just disregard and say, oh, you can't do that. You're going to hurt the guy. You can't do it. Well, let the eye test. I knew how he was throwing mostly fastballs. You know, he wasn't putting any strain on himself through a lot of strikes, early contact. I mean – it makes a difference. I mean, hey, today I see these guys that throw 25 pitches to close out a game, 30 pitches. And, you know, I can see where you got to limit those guys. Go back in our shows to the Alan Yeager long toss. Jose was a, a long toss fanatic who would throw a softball and long toss in, in winter ball. I, I was marveling at him throwing a softball over 300 feet, long tossing. What's the benefit to that, the softball as opposed to the baseball? Well, you know, the, it, the baseball always feels better in your hand later on after you've thrown a softball. I, I, I love uh, introducing that to kids. I do some hand speed drills with softball. I do some long toss drills but in the offseason, just as overload trading, not some 10-pound shot put, but just something a little bit bigger and – different than a baseball that makes the baseball feel better in your hand. Like hey, that. Dave, maybe you can answer this. You okay, I'm going, to, I'm going back to baseball uh, uh, data and analytics. You know, the, the, honestly, I don't father that, follow that much, but I do see what the, uh, you know, how they align the players on players that are better than other players, according to data, the true value of yep. the player, you know, like that's way above my pay grade. I, I, you know, I look at that list and I go, no, that player, there's a better player than that player. But statistically the guy's better. Yeah. Analytically. Well, you know, the one uh, wins above replacement. I go, well, what's replace? Well, just a replacement player. Well, who is it? Well, they can't tell me who it is. Yeah. It's, it's it's, yeah. It's an um, an imaginary, generic, mediocre player, and then somehow I'm to think that this guy has you know 47 wins above replacement I, it, for his career or whatever. I, and and I, it's all made up. You know, yeah. how about just watching? And I'll tell you who was really good and who wasn't. Yeah, is is a you know I always get caught between the average and the mean. You know how yeah. they do that? Yeah. The average yeah. and the mean. I mean, you can make any argument you want if you want to use one of those two preferences. Right. I think that the, the biggest thing that you want to combat, which will which will halt the analytics people, is that when they give you a formula, they they will preach that it's objective. And analytics are not objective. A human being made up the formula. A human being put their thought into it. In most cases, it's not a baseball person. So the formula is as fallible as the human being that presented it to you. So something like war, um, you know, any of those, it's, it's, it's all from the perspective of one or a collection of people. So that's, that's the thing that I, that kind of, I kick at the most where I shake my head. It is not objective. Don't for a moment. And the reason they do that is because they don't want responsibility for it. It's, it's a math problem. It's not my decision. Yeah. And that's the oh, one yeah. thing you want to hold their feet to the fire. Who made the formula? 
Well, <laughs> who buys into it? It's it's fallible, and then then you can move forward. Then the, then a discussion can start, like you guys are talking about, where okay, wins above replacement. I know that guy's better than that guy. So how in the heck did that happen? And that's where you can use baseball people to change the formula. I you know it's it's funny. Um, the analytic people they are very smart. Like lawyers are very smart, and they're always making their case leaving out a fact, accentuating a fact, uh, distorting a fact, distorting a number. You know, I think it was Bill Gates that wrote a book on how you can make numbers look any way you want them to look if you're Absolutely. smart. And, and, and I think that's the world that I live in. It's like I'm watching, uh, you know, L.A. Law or some law show with a bunch of lawyers that are trying to sell me on what point of view is, well, no, I just watched. Here's my point of view. And I think, I think I have a better feel for it than you do. Maybe. Yeah. I think that has to continually be brought up and you have to battle. I hate to use the word battle because it sounds like, but there is a divide and you have to battle people like that. We, we talked about, you know, we were talking about the word woke before the show. You have to battle them on the same ground that they're battling you on. And it sounds, it seems kind of childish at times, but like you said, no, I don't believe that. No, I don't feel that way. And that's not my perspective. You have to keep saying it so it doesn't become lore for, for lack of a better well, word. That, you know, I, I think my first introduction to analytics had to be close to 10 years or 11 years ago. Now I was in Denver at a meeting and somebody was talking about, uh, maybe even less, maybe it was about eight years ago, but we were starting to get into spin rates and they said, and you know, they made an absolute that, you know, that a four seam spin is always, if it's this high, it's going to be this, it's the best that it can possibly be. A curveball that has this spin is, is the best it could be. And then, so I asked, I said, well, what's Clayton Kershaw's spin rate on his curveball? Well, well, it's not very good. I go, well, I'm calling bullshit on, on your thing then because my eyes and the hitter swings tell me that that's a damn good curveball. So um, you can't tell me that it always is perfect. And they said, well, no, it is. And I go, you know, no, it, it isn't. You just told me it's not it's that good. It's a funny good. game in the <laughs> – you go back in history uh, when we had four-man rotations – and it seemed that every team had four studs, you know. Uh, expansion happened. It thinned out and it pulled one of those starters out of there to go to another team, let's say. So now you only had three good ones. So the remedy was let's make a five-man rotation. And what was lost was those three guys were still really good. And so when there's off days or uh, – or rainouts or whatever you they used to move that guy up yeah. uh, the better three guys and maybe the fifth guy would miss a turn that time because they wanted to have the best guys out there that could take the game deep deeper into the game as possible and now you know we 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 protect everybody we protect if there's an off day or anything very rarely will they move a guy ahead of another guy yeah. even though the fifth guy is brutal right and and you got let's say cole as a starter i mean if i got cole that guy's pitching every fifth day i mean i i'm paying him because he's a horse and i would train him 
to be a horse to where he could carry a big load because he's the stopper. You know, we talked about in another podcast how uh, Pedro Martinez was a stopper. You right. knew you weren't going to get into a losing streak because he was starting. Well, if you limit your horse's starts, it's harder for you to stop losing streaks. You know, a guy threw a complete game shutout recently. Uh, the team had an off day. They pushed him back seven seven days between starts because they had gone to a six-man rotation plus the off day. Uh, <laughs> the next outing, he got knocked out in the fourth inning. Instead of building on that rhythm and time and, you know. Exactly. He, he was uh, – now, Mark, you talk about the four-man rotations, and you know Joe Moeller, right? Yeah. Great guy. Him and I are friends on Facebook, and I posted the uh, that Boston thing that I had showed you, the 157 starts. Um, here's one. Joe was in the, the number five starter for the Dodgers in 66, I think he told me. In the Facebook, he sent me a little note. Um, the rotation was Koufax, Drysdale, Sutton, and Claude Osteen. He made five starts on the season <laughs> as the number five starter where they actually needed him. You know, maybe they pushed somebody back a day at that time. Or they had a doubleheader. Yeah. And those guys made all the starts, were tremendous pitchers when you go in and look at their numbers. Go back and look at the year uh, Palmer, McNally, Quayar, and Dobson all won 20 games and how many innings they pitched. And it was basically a four-man rotation the whole year. Uh, you know, McNally got hurt. Okay. But the other guys kept pitching. Wouldn't you want that as a pitcher? Yeah. To, to tell the rubber as much oh, as possible? Shoot. Yeah, you maintain your rhythm. But if you're throwing maximum effort, it's different. Yeah. You know, the best if you're just I trying to change speeds and get people out, you can do it, and it's even better, and it's more beneficial for you to throw more often. You know, I mean, the, go ahead. Bro. No, the best year I ever had was in 1978. We uh, we went to a four-man rotation basically out of the chute. We had an injury. Um, everybody was kind of stretched out, and we went, went with it in Miami with Jimmy Williams. Uh, we won the first half. I had an unbelievably good year. I never had better feel for the strike zone, better feel for my knuckle curve, my change up, my command. I, I, you know, I, you know, it was a year I ended up getting mono. I missed six weeks. I still won twelve games and threw a hundred and sixty innings that year, as a, as a nineteen year old in the Florida State League. Now I, you know, I laugh when guys come out of at 21 and 22 and they're in high a ball, which that was at that time. And, you know, Oh my gosh, he, he threw over a hundred innings. We got to shut him down. <laughs> it's it's yeah, like ridiculous. It, it's crazy. It's crazy. I remember I was one of the last with the twins in triple a, I was 76. I think it was 1976. Um, we were on a four man rotation the entire year. And, uh, I went to the the Padres AAA team in Hawaii the next year in 77, and they had a five-man rotation. And I remember my manager was Dick Phillips, and uh, I started off the year kind of slow, and I, I said, Dick, you know what I need to do? He said, what's that? I said, I'm used to throwing every fourth day. Um, I need to throw batting practice 
one day after I start, and then the next day I'll throw a side, then I'll rest, then I'll pitch. So I'll work twice between starts. Wow. Um, and I mean, I threw batting practice for like 15, 20 minutes yeah. one day, and then I threw my side the next day just to get my feel back because it was too long a time. I wasn't used to five days. And, uh, and when I started doing that, I took off and, uh, you know, it's, it, you know, people that never, people can't fathom guys through it for uh, yeah. on four day rotations. I, they just can't fathom it. And they don't understand these guys see 300 innings, multiple, multiple years and never got hurt. What's that tell you? Mark, you know, that you just mentioned, and I'm sure nobody knows this, but when you and I played, Starting pitchers through BP between starts. Um, with the Orioles, we did it the whole first half of the season because all it did was it gave me better feel as a pitcher for my stuff and gave me better feel for throwing strikes in the strike zone, not maximum effort, locating the ball, not pissing off my hitters trying to strike them out, just pitching the contact. For well, you know what else, what else, what else that did was – is that you worked at a, a quicker tempo exactly than a game than a game? So yeah. you were getting some aerobic work in, as well as is is getting better feel for your pitches because you were repeating them more often. Right. And then think about it. So if you you had a thirty pitch inning back then, you were conditioned to do it. Right. Guys aren't conditioned to throw a 30, 35 pitch inning now. No. If things are you know if the wheels are coming off a little bit. And uh, you know, you, <laughs> so you end up having to take the pitcher out early because his pitch count went up because of one bad inning. That's right. You throw a whole group of BP at 15 minutes, you, you're sweating your ass off. You've thrown probably about 100 pitches, and you've also walked off of there going, you know what, they knew what was coming and they couldn't hit me. Yeah. You know, that, that was a confidence point for me as well. I like that because the more you're on the mound, the more you're working on your craft. And yeah. that's that's what it's, that's the difference between you guys are talking about pitching. What we see nowadays is more throwing. Yeah. Throwing. Pitching. Yeah. That's why people don't have feel now. Yeah. Well, we've, we've gone over a little bit over an hour here today. We've, we've went over time with you two. I know you guys are complete games. You'd never need a bullpen with the, with the stamina you guys have. What do we want to leave the audience with the kind of teasement to next week? Because I think we've got a ton more that we can cover with the two of you next week that would benefit our audience. But what, what, what do you want to leave them with and tease them for next week? Well, I think, you know, we covered a lot of things today and, and uh, you know, not that we wanted to, uh, to bash analytics. We just wanted people to see it in perspective and have people see things in perspective. And I think in this game, um, Sometimes that's lost. People just get focused. If you notice, we covered a lot of different things and all of it narrows down to getting a bigger picture of what's going on and not not getting so laser focused on one or two aspects that it changes your opinion about it, whether it's evaluating players, you know, whether it's statistics you're paying attention to, you know, whether it's workload uh, or whether it's comparing players to players. Look at the bigger picture. Um, we've talked about it before. Last last podcast about choosing the right camps to go to or instructors to go to. You know, look at the bigger picture. Look who's good. Talk to enough people, 
make good decisions. Good point. Well, how about you? Well, you know, uh, I think that uh, people will realize as they listen that we, uh, Mark and I, walk the walk. You know, we had Jerry Weinstein on, who is one of the brilliant, more progressive minds that's very analytically and uh, new technique savvy. And there's a respectful interchange of ideas. And, you know, people could hear that in our, in our respect for Jerry and the success that he's had in teaching over the years. And he's always been on the progressive side. And him talking in our thing of going, oh, my gosh, I can't believe some of the stuff that I actually tried that was horrible. But he was always willing to try, as we talked about earlier, what good coaches, scouts, and players are always trying to get better and make those around us better. And uh, I think that, you know, we all, you know, Mark and I have always left our ego at the door and, and we're there to help the others that are around us. Yeah. Well, I think you, you both make a great point. And, and the reason that we have to come on one side a little bit harder than the other is because this side's not being represented very well out there. So that's part of our function here on, yeah. on real voices of the game to give it a voice and to keep, keep it on the table. Cause the, the two of you make a great point with Jerry, although two groups or two people may disagree with something, it doesn't mean one hates the other. It doesn't mean one has to be right or wrong. And the message I want to leave our audience with is when we're, when we're approaching baseball like this, don't worry about being right. Worry about getting it right. And right now, baseball is not in a great spot. Um, the pieces are there. We got the athletes, but we just have to get them moving in the right direction. I appreciate you guys laying it out there every week uh, for our audience and giving them your, your thoughts on it. And I just hope that the people that are in, in the other camp take that approach when, when they hear our voices on this network to say, hey, let's, let's sit down. And that's called, in, in the world that you don't have AI and analytics, that's called empathy for all the humans out there. Yeah. When you can articulate the other side, somebody's point of view, you don't have to agree with it. But once you are, can articulate it clearly, then a discussion can happen. So yeah. I appreciate you guys being that, that open-minded with everything. So, well, um, guys, congratulations on being a new part of iHeart uh, podcast. Uh, well-deserved and um, glad that they, they finally woke up and, uh, and took us on. It's a great network, and I think they're going to benefit greatly from our groups and, and us from them, the, the great groups that they have there. So we'll, we'll get some additional exposure. 74 countries out there listening to us, almost 50,000 subscribers. You guys did this for us uh, by, again, battling the analytics of the podcast world, just like we do in baseball here, and, and giving us a voice out there on another great streaming network like iHeart. You can still get us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. Um, please tune in next week to a day at the art common sense pitching Wiley and will. And I, I'm not, I don't want to impose this on you, but I think the audience could use another week of you two. If that's uh, if you got it in you. Always, um, always. Sounds always. good. Sounds good. With that guys, thanks so much for another great show. Went the distance, nine innings, no reliever necessary. And we appreciate the effort you give to your show and to the network every week. Thanks Dave. It was, Great job. It was really yeah, enjoyable. Always, always enjoy you guys. Well, have a good rest of the day. Yep.